0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, great to be with you. Thanks for being here. Um, Evidently, if I preach this sermon well, you will all try to kill me afterwards. So that's exciting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, Lord, uh, we all come here this morning from different places in life, different attitudes, different struggles, um, but Lord, every one of us, we need to hear you speak, and so Lord, we just we invite the Holy Spirit, we recognize you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us and you speak to us through your word, and so we just pray, speak to us. Um, speak to me, speak through me, speak to each of us loudly and powerfully, Lord, show us Jesus Christ. And show us what it means to respond to him and help us respond to him with all our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at the life of Jesus through the account of Dr. Luke, the great historian. And Luke has really been working hard to show us who Jesus is, and it's magnificent, right? God has made all these promises to renew the world, to renew society, to save his people, to... To, uh, to change everything through a promised king, and Luke has been saying he's here, his name's Jesus. Moreover, we've seen he's not just the, the Davidic king in his humanity, he's also the eternal son of God who's taken on flesh to save his people. It can't get any bigger than Jesus and what he's doing, what he's bringing. The question in our text this morning as Luke begins his public ministry, it involves who Jesus is and what he's doing, but the question is who gets to enjoy what he's bringing? Who gets to enjoy the good news he's bringing? Who gets to taste the fruit of who Jesus is and what he's doing? Because the reality is, not everyone does. Not everyone's going to enjoy what he's doing. Not everyone is going to know his salvation. Not everyone's going to taste God's grace. And so the question is, well, well who is? What kind of person gets to receive Jesus and what he's doing? And, uh, you know, as we, as we saw, the answer is so surprising the answer to this question is so surprising to the point when Jesus goes home to his neighborhood church and preaches, the altar call is a, a, a murder attempt. And that is some kind of sermon. If we understand this rightly, some of us will be very angry and the rest of us will be very thankful. So if I do this right, you should either be very angry or very thankful. So here's what we're gonna look at uh, as we go through this story. Number one, we're gonna see again who Jesus is and what he's offering. Number two, we're gonna see who it is that gets to enjoy what he's bringing. Number three, why that seems so outrageous. Why that seems so outrageous and then number four, just some ideas on what that means for us. So who Jesus is and what he's offering. Who it is that gets to enjoy what he's bringing. Number three, why that's so outrageous. Number four, what that means for us. So let's just walk through this great story. Uh, You see in verses 14 to 16, Luke is basically telling you Jesus, as he begins his work, he's instantly famous. He is instantly famous. Crowds just by the thousands want to come hear him. There's something unique about him in the way that he talks. He's clever, he's interesting, he's loving, he's kind, he's unique, he's powerful, he's wise. There's nobody like him. And so his notoriety just almost immediately shoots through the roof. Everybody wants to hear Jesus. They're all amazed by what he's saying, verse 15. He's teaching in these synagogues. Everybody's glorifying him, saying, wow, there's nobody like this. So in verse 16, Luke tells us, he goes to That's his hometown. And so you can imagine... Uh, the local boy who's gone out into the world, and now everybody knows his name, he's coming home. And he's going to speak in our little church. Um, and so you can imagine, I don't know, maybe, maybe Logan here becomes famous one day, uh, 20 years from now, right? And then, and then here he comes back to little old fountain of life, and he's going to speak. And everybody who knew him, oh, we all got to hear him. So not only the people who've heard of Jesus want to hear him, but his family's there, his neighbors are there. He grew up with us. Here he is uh, to preach. And so in a lot of ways, the synagogue service was kind of like our service. They would, re- they would read the text, so the attendant hands the scroll to Jesus. Now, he's, he's, I'm using an iPad. He had to use a scroll, right? And there was a couple for Isaiah because it's humongous. And so with the scroll, it's kind of hard to turn the page. You know, this is on uh, you know, scroll turn 83. or You kind of have to f- 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 you know, fiddle with it. He gets to the point, and he reads it. And so he would read the text, and then he would sit down and give an explanation or a sermon, kind of, kind of what we do here. We, we read the text, then we give an explanation or a sermon. And so that's what we want to look at now. Look at verses 17 to 19. Jesus intentionally chooses to read what we would call Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. This is what he wants to read. This is, he goes home to preach. This is the text he's going to read, looking at it, of course, in Luke 4, 17 to 19. Uh, Starts in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's an amazing passage, an amazing passage. In this section of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about this mysterious person called the servant of the Lord. He's going to uniquely represent God, and he is going to change everything. He's going to renew everything. He's going to heal everything. He's anointed by God, right? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. So God is uniquely with this servant to come and accomplish God's plan. And what? And the servant has a message. You see it three times in 18 to 19. He's anointed me to what? Do you see it? Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to, what? Proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19, two. Proclaim, he's got a message three times. He's proclaiming, and the, the summary of it is he's proclaiming God's favor. This is proclaiming grace. God is going to come with overwhelming generosity, and he's gonna liberate, who is it that's receiving this grace? What's God's plan for the poor? Good news. So you're oppressed and you don't have enough and you're barely making it and you're in debt and people own you and you're on the sidelines of society. God's plan is to bless you. I've got good news for you. I'm gonna help you out. God is coming to help the poor. Uh, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives uh, Those in slavery, those uh, under the control of other people, those with no hope, no resources. God's coming, God's plan for the captives is is what? Liberty. I'm going to set you free. I want you to thrive. I'm going to restore your fortunes. I'm going to give you a hope and a future for the blind. Oh, man, it would be horrible to be blind. Um, I was in class earlier this week, and I actually said one of my co-students was blind. It was amazing how resourceful this guy was. Here he is in this uh, doctoral class. He's blind. He's got these cool apps on his computer and all these, all these ways to help him understand what's going on. Even still, he needs some help. Yeah. My major job for him was to help him find the snacks and get them back to his place on the table, right? That's, that's an important thing. But, but he, he needed help. Oh, oh, yeah, totally dependent. And, and, and often abused. And what's God's plan for the blind? I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore your hurts. Wow. Recovery of sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A lot of commentators and scholars see a reference here to the concept of jubilee. Have you heard that? Have you heard of that concept? Concept of jubilee, if you want to read about it at home, it's in Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Imagine this, okay? Life happens. We're in a broken world. People are in debt. Some rise to the top, some fall to the bottom. Some lose their inheritance. Some, some uh, lose their control. Some screw things up. They, they make mistakes. They're lost. They're on the sidelines. They're not going to make it. Every 50 years in Israel, guess what happens? Slaves are set free. It's totally set free. Land is restored debts are canceled. How many of you would like a year of Jubilee right now? Just credit card debt, it's over. Mistakes where you lost all your wealth, you screwed it up, you, you, you messed your life up, restored, year of Jubilee. So, that, so the rich have to give it all back and let it all go. Why, because it's a reminder, hey, this was all God's grace in the first place. And the servant here in Isaiah 61 says, I'm the one who's bringing this. I'm the one who's bringing this. Wow. So this is the text Jesus reads. Look at verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue are fixed on him. And they're just, whoa. What are you going to say next? Here comes his sermon. Uh, Many of you wish I would take lessons from Jesus on how to preach because his sermon is one line. The thing is, I could never say anything like this because it would be a lie, right? (laughs) Look what he says in verse 21. This is his sermon. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. It's surprising on a lot of levels. Number one, who is Jesus claiming that he is? I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the anointed one. I'm the healer. I'm the restorer. I'm the one who brings God's favor. Another reason is shocking. He doesn't say, in a minute, I'm going to fulfill this. He says this, it's fulfilled when? My life, my words, right now, it's happening, right now. So, first of all, before we move any further, let's take seriously Jesus' claims about who he is. Who is Jesus? He is the promised servant of the Lord. And if you read Isaiah, he's the one who's going to renew creation, he's the one who's going to uh, bring justice to society, who's going to save broken individuals. He's the one. And so we just want to remind ourselves to take seriously what Jesus said about himself. He's not a nice advice giver. He's the hope of the world. That's who he is. But you've heard it. Who's going to receive the blessing according to what he read in Isaiah 61? Who's going to receive it? Good news to the the poor. Now, automatically, that ought to bug you just a little bit. It ought to bug you just a little bit because... And I know things are tight. You live in Southern California. This is impossible, right? But I, I got bad news for you. I don't think anyone in this room is poor. It's nobody in this room who is poor. Um, the poorest in our neighborhood are rich. Already you get, you get yourself in a headache. And if you're reading books about the church and injustice, this, this is like quoted every other page, this verse. It's for the poor. It's for the poor. And you want to be like... Yeah, yeah, it is. How and why? How does this work? Because in a way, if God's good news is for the poor, um, well, that means none of us are going to get it. Number two, that means you wouldn't want to help the poor because they'll lose their salvation. (laughs) That's too strict, right? That's too literal to say, well, it can't only be, it can't only be economics, Economics have to be part of it, because you're talking about oppressed, you're talking about lost, you're talking about the marginalized. But it can't only be that, because, well, that would, just wouldn't make any sense on so many levels. His good news is to the poor, but, but how so? In what way? Anyway, we're going to get there. Jesus is going to tell us. Before we get there, how does the crowd feel about his sermon? I think they're really happy because it was so short. Um... They're really happy because they're proud of Jesus. Look at verse 22. They all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So, so how do they like him so far? They think he's great. This is great. You're a great speaker. The crowds love you. Wouldn't you be kind of proud if one of your own local boys made it big? And, and, and then he came back and you're like, wow, can you believe it's one of our guys? I mean, what, what, what's the thing you say about Nazareth? In the Gospels, the people say, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Nazareth is like Bakersfield or I don't know. Uh, do, things, do good things come from that place? I'm sorry if you're from Bakersfield. Um, does anything good come? Actually, I was born in kind of that area of California, so that tells you a lot. Um, can, anything, can anything good come from that? And here they are, we're like, the servant of the Lord is from our town. Did you hear, the bro- Did you hear him preach? This is great. But here's what's happened. Jesus has read the text. He's claimed to be fulfillment. Their assumptions are left untouched. Their assumptions are left untouched. Now, where do they live? Nazareth. Does that tend to be a powerful upper-class community? Not at all. So how do they see themselves right now? Who are the poor in their mind? We are, obviously. Aren't they dominated by Rome right now? And, and taxed out of their brains and, and, and abused and demeaned by the, the powers, right? The injustices of Rome upon Israel are, are epic. Aren't they controlled by a corrupt priesthood? And, and Herod the Great, he's corrupt. In their minds, who are the poor that are going to see, receive God's favor? They're thinking, it's us. Moreover, they went to church. What's that say about them? It says they're better than everyone who didn't go to church. Duh, can I get an amen? (laughs) They're the poor, they think. They're going to receive God's favor. And what will that look like when it comes? Well, Caesar will get kicked in the teeth, right? And finally we'll get a new Davidic king who'll reign over Israel. Let's do it. They're ready. Let's go. And Jesus is about to tell them that all their assumptions about who they are and their enemies are totally and absolutely wrong. They're misreading the entire text. They're getting the wrong idea. And so he now has to step in and cause disruption. He has to show them the truth of what's going on. Look at what he says in verses 23 to 24. He gives them a little warning. Sermon part two. He said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Uh, He's going to challenge them prophetically. And he's telling them ahead of time, they're not going to believe him. They're not going to believe him. Look now at Jesus' definition of the poor. We're going to find Jesus' definition of the kind of person who receives God's favor. Because the big question is, right, what does it mean to be poor and receive God's blessing? What does it mean? Jesus is about to tell you. Look at verse 25 to 26. In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, And a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to, how many of those? None. None of them. But only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Did all the poor widows, uh, who's poorer than a widow in Israel during the famine? Oh, sweet mercy. It's awful. Did they all get a visit from Elijah? No. If you read the story, it's in the book of Kings. Where does he go? The widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Well, what do you know about her? Well, she's totally powerless. She's poor. She's an outsider. What else do you know about her? What, who does she worship? Idols. What's her lifestyle been like all growing up? Sinful. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's been living the wrong way. She's an, she hasn't been to the temple. She hasn't offered sacrifices. She, she doesn't know the Bible. She's a Gentile. Where did Elijah go? To her. How much does she deserve from God? How much does he owe her? What did what did Elisha or Elijah pass up on the way to her? Lots of, of religious Israelite widows. What's, what's changing in this category of the poor now? At, at least an Israelite widow, right? She would deserve some blessing from the prophet, because she's an Israelite. Whereas that Gentile widow. Maybe you get to her later if everybody else is covered. Because she's an outsider. She doesn't deserve it. And where does the prophet go? And if you read that story, when he speaks to her and he, and he makes a big claim, Elijah does to her, how, what is her response? Do you remember? She humbles herself and believes the word of the prophet. So why all Israel is becoming more and more apostate and not listening to the words of the prophet, guess who listens? This outsider, Gentile widow, she listens, and guess who receives God's favor? She does. Is there economic poverty here? Social poverty here? Absolutely. But is there more than that? Is there a spiritual poverty that says, I'm not enough in myself. I need you. I'm going to believe. Yes, indeed, there is. Look at the second example Jesus gives of the poor. This will really blow us all up. We don't know what to do after this. Look at verse 27. There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed. But only Naaman the Syrian. This would have fired them up. What do you know about Naaman the Syrian? Well, number one, he's a Syrian People in Syria are constantly at war. Number two, he's a Syrian general. Is he rich economically or poor economically? He's rich! Is he an outsider to social structures or is he at the top of social structures? He's at the top! Is he kind of a good guy or is he kind of like a general of ISIS? He has murdered people, he's he's rampaged villages, he's taken people into slavery. He's wicked. He is powerful and wicked and a Gentile sinner. And he's Jesus' version of the poor who receive God's blessing. There were lots of lepers in Israel. Lots of them. Which leper should we heal first? Come on, these are Israelite lepers. They deserve something from God. And we're going to skip those. And, And guess who Elisha is going to cleanse? Naaman. If you read the story, it's a great story. Read it. It's in 2 Kings. And Elisha won't even meet with Naaman face to face. Naaman's like, come on, I'm 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 big time, I'm powerful, I'm scary, I'm rich. You owe me a face-to-face. Elijah's like, No, I'm sending the Jordan seven times. This little, this little Israelite river. And at first, Naaman's like, I'm out of here, this is stupid. We have better rivers at home, I'm gone. And his servants are like, dude, you've come this far. Give it a try. So he humbles himself and goes under once and twice. And three times, and four times, and five times, and six times, and the seventh time, and he comes up, baby skin. He humbled himself before the word of the prophet. He realized he could not heal his problem on his own, that as rich and as powerful he was, he was poor and he needed grace. And he was healed. Saying? The poor are those who are totally undeserving of God's grace. And they know it. And they know it. And so they receive it. Look what Jesus says in Luke 5.32. It helps give us a clear picture of what's going on here. Luke 5.32. I have the righteous. Do you hear this? If you're spiritually rich or a spiritually middle class, let's say. And you're like, I have some things to offer God. I'm a good person. Look what I've accomplished. I, on my own, I have some righteousness without dependence on God. I'm good, I can do it. Jesus says, oh, that's interesting. I didn't come for you. If you think you're good without total dependency on my favor, you don't know how bad you are. I have not come to call the righteous. Who are the poor who receive God's grace? The spiritually poor. I deserve nothing from God. I'm a wreck. I've messed it up. I have nothing to demand from him. I'm humbled to the ground. My only hope is his grace. Jesus says, perfect, I came for you. And for those who say, hey, wait, hold up. I'm a good person. I've been going and come on, God, you owe me something. Jesus says, <laughs> and the Israelites got passed up. Are you catching a whiff as to why they tried to, tried to throw them off the cliff? They assume they're the poor who are going to receive God's favor because, of course, they're Israelites. They're a church. Look, they're good. They're spiritually middle class. Hmm. Why is this so outrageous? Well, you you see verse 28. When they heard these things in all the synagogue, they were filled with wrath. Wrath. Isn't it crazy how crowds can change? And now they're throwing him off the hill. Filled with wrath. These are his neighbors. And they rose up. And brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. What is it that makes them mad to the point of murder? It's because all the things they trust in to make themselves right with God, he just told them none of them were even close to being enough. But we're Jews. So. But we've read the Bible. So. But we're, but, but we're good people. We have better lifestyles than those, than those Gentiles so you think you deserve anything for that you don't that's what they built their identity on that's what they built it on They're outrage and so here's where we need to be outraged listen you want to receive god's grace i do <laughs> you want to receive everything jesus is i do i know you do too and jesus is telling you the gospel comes for those who are spiritually poor It only comes to those who still suspect you might be spiritually rich or at least middle class. (laughs) Because most of us, we don't claim to be spiritually rich, but hey, spiritually middle class, maybe we could pull that off. How do you know you're holding that in your heart? Well, if you think God owes you something because of how good you've been, and then you're angry with him when you don't receive it, that's a clue you might think you're spiritually middle class. Or, I'm going to show you a parable Jesus told right on this concept. If you tend to treat others with contempt because they don't meet that same standard, that's another clue that you might think you're spiritually rich or at least middle class. Check this parable out, Luke 18. 18 verse 9. I love it when Luke uh, you know, makes it real plain for you. You're reading the Bible, you're not sure what's going on. Luke's like, let me help you out. Luke 18, 9. He told this parable. Okay? So this is, this is a test to see if we trust in ourselves, apart from God's grace, that we're good, that we're righteous. And here's the story. Look at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a, who? Pharisee. And the other a, who? Tax collector. Now I know if you've watched the Jesus movie, when the Pharisees come on, they're mad and the sad music plays. And so you're like, ah, they're bad. But if you lived in Israel and you had to choose between a Pharisee and a tax collector as your neighbor, let me tell you who you would choose. The Pharisee, he's cleaned up, he's nice, he goes to church, he's respected, he'll treat you just decent. Look how the Pharisee prays. We got a comparison here. By the way, the tax collector uh, you realize what that means. He's betrayed his people. He's immoral. He extorts money. It's kind of the, the underworld mafia of the time. He's, he's cheated with, uh, with Rome. He, he's evil. He's wicked. He's bad. So you got Pharisee tax collector. They're both gonna go pray at the temple. Look at what the Pharisee prays. Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other. Comparison. Comparison, I'm up here, somebody else is over here. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. (laughs) I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. He's not lying. He's not an extortioner, tithe all that he gets. He really does. Look at verse 13. How does the tax collector pray? This is the bad guy, right? We heard the good guy pray. Now we're going to hear the bad guy pray. Verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off, what? He would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Is there there anybody else in the tax collector's mind? It's just God. And how does he know he stands before God on his own? He's toast. He's got nothing. Only cry is what? Have mercy on me. And then Jesus' line, it's the same thing in the synagogue in Nazareth. Look at verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Which man? The tax collector went to his house Right with God. The bad guy was right with God and the good guy was not. The courageous practitioner was not. Why? Because the gospel is only for the spiritually poor. You see, if you're spiritually rich, um, you'll think you've acquired goodness in your own strength. And you think God will owe you for that, and you'll think you're better than other people who haven't quite done what you've done. So who is it for you? Because I think we all struggle with this somewhere. Who is it for you? Uh, maybe one kind of worldview looks down at the poor. If only, if only they uh, tried as hard as I do. Hm, too bad they can't pull themselves together. And maybe another point of view looks down at those who look down at the poor. If only they were educated and saw society, societal injustices like I do. If only they had more compassion like me. Tell me this is in our political setting. The right says, oh, if only the left cared about personal morals. And the, and the left says, oh, if only the right would care about the poor. I'm glad we're not like them. And Jesus says, you're all guilty. Right? And, you're ju- and you're righteous, on your own the gospel comes to the spiritually poor do you see what jesus is saying and it makes us mad i said if you take this seriously you'll either be really mad or you'll be really thankful because when you admit i've got nothing before god and then you see jesus grace and you realize that he saves sinners and forgives you're like that's good news that's good news Do you see why this is outrageous? Do you see why the gospel just blows everybody up? What does this have to do with economics? Because it's it's not um, separate from economics. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but we need to spend a little time. Do you remember what Jesus said about the rich being saved? Look at Luke 18, 24 to 25. This is after the story of the rich young ruler, loves his money. Luke 18, 24, Jesus said, how, and what's the next word? Difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, the kingdom of God. some commentators are like, that's too tough. And they came up with this idea that there's this little teeny gate and you could stuff a camel through this gate into the city. And other commentators say, you're cheating. The eye of a needle is actually what Jesus says the eye of a needle. Go ahead and try to stuff your camel through there. How's that going to go for you? I can maybe get a camel's hair through the eye of needle. What is Jesus saying about how impossible it is for rich people to be saved? It's hard. And guess what you are in this room? Why is it hard for us? Because when you've worked hard and you've, you've, you've made some ground and you've had some successes, guess what you tend to think about yourself? Look what I did. If I can't do it, why can't everybody else do it? And, and that lifestyle stuff it isn't totally disconnected from s- your spiritual re- person on my own. I'm not totally desperate before God. I do it better than those other people do. Hard to be saved. Because what do you have to have to enjoy the blessings of Jesus? You have to be spiritually Poor. Then we could go to several other places in Scripture, and Luke is going to hit it many, many times. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He was helpful for me with this idea. Keller says, the gospel is only for the spiritually poor. And what's the next half of that line there? It's especially for the actually poor. What what we mean by actually there is um, your socioeconomic status. So the gospel is only economically poor. No, is he he poor according to status? No, not at all. He's the opposite. He's rich, he's powerful. Is the gospel for him? Yeah, he humbled himself. He was spiritually poor. But there's also a reality that in general, the rich and powerful won't be as interested in the gospel, Jesus says, and the poor will receive it more gladly. And let me tell you, study church history, guess what? Guess what? That's true. I was just uh, talking uh, with an Indian friend, India, and he's talking about the high caste system and the very lowest of the low caste system. And the and the church is growing pretty good in one of those. Can you guess which one? It's the poor. Because when when you're already knowing. The odds are against you, you haven't made it, it hasn't been good enough. Or when you're just, you've just you messed up your life, a different kind of poor, you've made horrible mistakes and you've been revealed as for what you are and you're not as good as you thought you were and you've messed it up, you're already a little cracked and broken. You hear the news of the gospel, you're a little more ready for this. It's for you. More easily among the poor because they're more naturally able to see it, and then for those of us who are rich and and God has saved us, praise God by His grace. Probably, when you got saved, what happened? Your life got disrupted. Probably, I don't hear as many testimonies of like, I won the lottery and I realized I needed the Lord. Okay, I haven't heard that as often. Um, everything was going perfect in my life, and I thought, Hey, I'm broken. And I need Jesus. It's possible. It's not what I usually hear. What happened for you? Probably. You hit, you hit your version of rock bottom. You hit challenges and failure and loss. And you thought, ah, I need help. I need more. The Spirit was helping, helping you see your, your poverty and your need. How about that? So... You want to receive God's favor and all the blessings of who He is. What do you need to do? Humble yourself. Repent even of your good works. Pray like that text collector. Jesus likes this kind of prayer. Remember how it went? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that person, Jesus says, goes home justified. Let me give a few, uh, just wrap this up with a few pieces of application. Verse 18, back into Luke 4, verse 18. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Now, Jesus is gonna heal blind people, isn't he, in the gospels? Like, physically blind people is gonna heal them. But the blind becoming sight all through the Bible That's a metaphor for far more than just your eyeballs working. Blind to the sight is coming awake to the reality of who God is and who you are. And seeing life through his word. And that's really, can you see? Can you see? Jesus' hometown couldn't see who he really was and who they really were before God and what they needed to do. They couldn't see it. They were blind. And part of God's favor is to open our eyes so the first thing to see, see your poverty, your spiritual poverty, your absolute hopelessness without the grace of God for you in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this question, you know, that, that, old, that old preacher question. If you died tonight and stood before the Lord, and he said, why should I let you in? An example, okay, it's a preacher thing. What would you say? It's a test of your heart. Why do you belong here in God's presence? Well, did you see how much money I gave? <clears throat> Did you see how many times I went to church? No. Oh, did you see the denomination I'm a part of? No. But did you, but did you see what I did? did? you see how many people? No. But I was better than that person, especially, no. Because Naaman's going to be there, right? I was better than him. And Naaman's like, I'm in, man. <laughs> What's your answer? My answer is going to go something like this. See that guy, Jesus? That's my answer. Why should I let you in? Him. Jesus. Only hope. Jesus. 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 His life. His death. His resurrection. That's why. I'm poor without him. What do you have without Jesus as far as getting you right with God? Come on, church. Nothing. Nothing. Land right there. Nothing. Is he enough for you even if you come with nothing? Oh, yeah. I love how when he quoted from Isaiah. Did you know this? Back in, uh, he's he's quoting from Isaiah 61. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stops. And he stopped mid-sentence, which is kind of a no-no for reading the Bible, right? I'm I'm out of context. You know what he skipped? Look at this, Isaiah 61, verse two. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and, what else? The day of vengeance of our God. Why didn't he quote it? Is Jesus afraid to talk about the wrath of God? He's worried about what people will think. Yeah, no, <laughs> we saw that. <laughs> Why doesn't he quote it there? He's given you a hint already. He's coming twice to do two different things. And on this, this time, he'll do that next time. This time, he came to take the wrath of God upon himself. So see your spiritual need and see Jesus' grace for you on the cross. See Jesus' grace for you on the cross. As you come like that tax collector saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, see the cross. Which one of your sins has Jesus paid for there on the cross? Come on. Come on. All of them? What about that really bad one that still stings when you think about it? That one too? What about the one that happened yesterday you shouldn't be doing now that you've been a Christian this long? Did he die for that one too? the time you burnt that bridge, the time you really hurt that person, all of them, yeah, all of them. Jesus came to proclaim the Lord's favor. Were you the outsider? Were you the tax collector? Were you the one who messed it up? Were you the the fraud? Were you the hypocrite? Hey, good news. Good news. The year of the Lord's favor. All debts are paid. All debts are canceled. You're welcome back in through what Jesus did on the cross. See him. Last thing to see. See the poor, the economically poor. Something happens to us when we see how we're poor spiritually. Jesus became poor to save us. You ever heard this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, what did he do? He became poor so that you, by his poverty might become rich it's a picture of the gospel isn't it he became poor he took character of his kingdom he made himself poor for your wealth spiritual wealth what's going to happen in your heart if you believe that you're going to be judging people who are different than you anymore or hey do you think this is true are christians called to become poor for the poor Now I don't need you to become like under the poverty line because then we're going to have to help you too, right? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. But listen, you will live in America and the story is of mobility more. It's the direct opposite of the gospel. If Jesus believed that, he would have stayed in heaven. Is there a way that Christians are called to become poor for the poor? Yeah, it means this, it means you see the poor, the economically poor, the outsider, the one who's lost, the one who's relationally poor, they're not in the group, and you go out and you bring them in. The, the one who's having a hard time and, and you have to give your person, or economically, right? Are Christians called to not live according to their highest standard of living and live a line or two or whatever the Lord tells you, lower in order to give to the functionally poor in the world? Yes and absolutely. Yes and absolutely. And we're scared to do that, aren't we? Because our security is our money. But as we grow in finding our security in our Savior, and as we treasure how he became poor for our wealth, we're ready to move more into, I'll be a little more poor. I'll help the poor. And there's a million great ways to do that. We can talk about that in another conversation. The point of this sermon is, guess what? It's got to be done. How will you do it? So let's review. See yourself. How are you supposed to see yourself? Poor. How are you supposed to see Jesus? Paying for your sins, giving you his riches. And then what else are you supposed to see? The poor themselves. Let's follow Jesus' example. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.